0: Blog Talk Radio. is brought to you by the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA, convening in the nation's capital for, from November 2nd through the 4th, 2015. Come join your peers at the go-to industry event for population health management strategies, tactics, and best practices. For more information on the PHA forum, visit www.populationhealthalliance.org. Welcome everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hello, Greg. How's life in Jacksonville.
1: It's been very good uh, in the West Coast in San Diego.
0: Uh it's badly needed rain today, so we hope there's more in the way. For those of you not familiar with my colleague, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a consulting firm, and past chair and current board member of PHA. Brad's experience spans hospital health system administration, HMO general management, and the founder of disease management company, My background includes leadership and consulting support for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, MSOs, and several hospital physician managed care joint ventures. I publish and principally author, acowatch.com, founded Health Innovation Media, and I'm known on Twitter as At2HealthGuru. Today we continue our series, Countdown to the Population Health Alliance Forum 2015, and our special guest is Sam Glick, who's a partner In Oliver Wyman's health and life sciences practice and the San Francisco office leader, Sam will keynote at the PHA forum on safely navigating the consumer health evolution. His interests include consumer-centric health care, working with leading providers, health plans, employers, enablement companies, retailers, federal firms to find innovative, engaging ways to bend the cost trend. Sam is the author of several recent Oliver Wyman points of view, including A Billion Dollar Decision, Charting a New Course for U.S. Health Benefits, and Private Exchanges Change the Game. Sam also leads many of Oliver Wyman's healthcare commercializ- commercialization research and intellectual capital development efforts, according to his biocopy on the Oliver Wyman site. Sam has been invited to speak at a number of events for healthcare senior execs and board members, including the American Hospital Association Leadership Summit, the AHA Center for Healthcare Governance Symposium, the Council on Employee Benefits Annual Con- Conference, the Accountable Care Congress, the Integrated Healthcare Association Annual Board Retreat. The CapG California Association of Physician Groups Healthcare Conference, the Leadership Institute Roundtable, and United United Health Group Smart Circle Series. He is quoted regularly in both the industry and popular press. So, with that abbreviated tour of Sam's background, Fred, help us get to know this talented industry thought leader.
1: Thank you so much, Greg, and Sam. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, fantastic. I'm so excited you're going to be uh, doing one of the keynotes at the PHA Forum this year. And to kind of give our guests a sense of your background and and the work done by by Oliver Wyman, can you talk a little about some of the things you're doing at the Health Innovation Center?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Oliver Wyman, uh, I think many of your listeners may be familiar with, we're a global management consulting firm. Part of what we do is uh, we have a, a Team of professionals in the healthcare space. Um, a few years ago, we realized that um, what what was sorely needed in healthcare um, was an opportunity for leaders from across what we think of as traditional parts of healthcare to come together. So, health systems, health plans. Um, funders in the capital market space, employers, innovators. Uh, we found that when we talked to our clients, they were often spending a lot of time with people who looked like them, um, but not a lot of time talking to those across healthcare. Um, and you know, we fundamentally believe that um, healthcare in the U.S. and around the world is going to be changed through cross-industry, through collaboration, and through um, people really thinking through the entirety of the consumer and patient experience. And so um, we brought together, um, together, uh, for our very first event, eight executives from across those spaces. Uh, It's grown tremendously since then. We're going to have 500 executives together from across those spaces just next month, um, really spending two and a half days together talking about um, what the healthcare business model of the future looks like like and, and what we can do to really change healthcare in the United States and abroad?
1: That's fantastic. And as you said, it really has become now. We're beginning to see this cross fertilization. And I know in the Population Health Alliance, we have members from all sides of the spectrum—new startups up to you know major uh, insurers that play both nationally and in some of them even globally. And one of the focuses we're seeing, obviously, that you're going to speak about at the forum, is this whole change to consumerism. And can you talk about what that really is from your perspective and how you see that from the different viewpoints of, say, a provider or the consumer themselves or the health plan?
2: Yeah, it's a a great question and a long topic about which um, I think we're very passionate. You know, consumerism has been a topic of discussion for a very long time. Uh, And, in fact, uh, I was looking at some of the historical promotional material um, from one of the very first Blues Plans that was founded over 100 years ago, and it was talking about a revolution in consumer health care and getting consumers engaged in their health care. And, you know, we've been talking about shared decision-making for 40 years. You know, we're 22 years into the health savings account. Um, and so I think um, there's been both a long-standing uh, excitement about consumerism, uh, but also some fatigue. Um, and I think what's fundamentally changed now is you know, we, as of last year, live in a world where the average consumer in a typical year is paying all or most of his or her own health care costs. Between the combination of um what the average deductibles and copays have hit in this country uh and the fact that most Americans' health care costs are spiky, where they'll have very high health care costs in one year and it'll level out for a few years. Consumers are now in a place of saying, you know, it used to be about sort of taking this money that my employer gave me or taking this money that the government would spend on me and just deciding which hospital to go to with it or just deciding which doctor to go to with it. And now consumers are in a place of um, really saying, you know, I've got to choose to spend my health care dollars versus the dollars I spend on my rent versus the dollars I spend on, um, you know, been getting more data for my smartphone plan or whatever it might be, and so the decision making is fundamentally changing. And I think it um, it really changes how we, as an industry, have to think about engaging people um, from whatever angle you come at it. If you're an employer who wants people to take advantage of the benefits, you have to speak their language. If you're a health system um, that wants people to consume preventative care, you have to make the case to them differently and make it convenient and give them access. If you're a health plan that wants people to choose you, you know you've got gotta have a, a cost and a brand that resonates with people. And so um we can dig into lots of reasons, but I, d- I do fundamentally believe you know the economics uh and the cost shifting have so changed over the past handful of years that we're really in a different era of consumerism.
1: So we've we've had this healthcare system that for years has had the decision making made in essence by the providers or the plan or the employer. And and I know now I've heard quite a bit from particularly providers they don't necessarily like that term, consumer. Um, are you still? Are, are we going to see this kind of pushover from an old, maybe it's an older look to a new look for providers, or um, are you seeing more acceptance of that now?
2: Yeah, I sure hope so. You know, I I hear the same thing as I go around the country and talk to providers. Consumerism, um, you know, tends to be paired with the word crass right and people think of it as you know people are going to shop for healthcare the way they shop for soap um and you know that's just not what the data show it's not what the literature shows um one of my you know very favorite studies that's come out recently showed that there was very high correlation for example between a hospital's hcap score and its facebook score Right, and it's Facebook rating, and consumers had some intuitive sense of where they were getting um, good care uh, and how that was working. It, you know, the data show that when consumers are engaged in their own care and they're engaged in motivational interviewing and they pick the things they're focused on, they have better clinical outcomes and they consume more preventative care. We know that when you know expectant mothers uh, engage more in education about what to do with their new new infants, that they actually take better care of those infants in the first year. And so I think. It It is time to kind of redefine consumerism which is the reality is that uh, individuals want choice individuals are going to pick on a number of factors sure some of it is going to be about price and convenience and how nice the doctor's office looks Um, but also places that care about that can care about engaging people in their own care making people healthier um, really helping them make better decisions you know I always like to think um, that You know, consumers don't want to go to the emergency room, and that's a very high-cost, low-quality place for them to be. Consumers don't want unnecessary surgeries, and that's what's driving a lot of cost in the system. And you and I can make that list and make that list. And so I think, um, you know, we need clinicians and physicians in particular to start to reorient themselves and realize that, um, you know, they may not like the word consumerism, but, you know, if I call it patient engagement, if I call it shared decision-making, these are the kinds of things we've actually been wanting for a number of years.
1: So from the consumer perspective, you know, we we have recognized we have an issue in the country around health literacy and the ability to understand really how to navigate the system, where you are with your own health. How do we work through that side to, rather than just saying, here's your $8,000 deductible, good luck?
2: Yeah, you know, it's um, that hasn't worked and i think that um you know the idea that we are going to take um people give them more responsibility for their own costs um and then throw them into a system that nobody understands um is you know kind of an idea of market transparency that um that's time is over um at the same time i think we Underestimate the power of consumers to engage in markets and engage in decision making where they have an incentive to. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that choosing auto insurance is particularly simple or pleasurable, but we have a lot of consumer companies going after that market. I wouldn't say that getting a mortgage is easy. I wouldn't say necessarily that choosing a cell phone plan is easy, but people do that because they have an incentive to, and there's a benefit to doing it. And so, you know, I think. Fundamentally, we, we have to do two things: One, we absolutely have to get better at talking about quality and quality in a way that matters to the consumer. Um, you know the Some of the the headlines that we saw after people chose health plans on the public exchanges for the first time uh, and they chose very narrow networks that they didn 't realize were narrow you know talked about well the, the insurance companies were doing this sort of bait and switch or consumers didn 't do good shopping. I think neither one of those is true. The reality is. We have very good shorthand for talking about cost. We show people their premium. Uh, And we don't have very good shorthand for talking about quality or whether or not somebody needs something. And the onus is on us to think about how do we communicate those things simply and then the other piece is to say, you know, let's think about the value we offer. And, and value doesn't just mean clinical outcomes. You know, I need to be creating a health system that, um, as, you know, I heard one CEO say recently, uh, is worthy of our friends and family, right? We need a health system that brings real value where somebody walks away from the experience and says, I'm better for that, and therefore I want to engage in it. And I think, you know, we just haven't met that yet, and, and there is no reason that the bar should be as low as it is in U.S. health care in particular
1: so you you talk about this empowered consumer and, and creating value or purchasing value do you think that the consumer can can hasten this push to value that we maybe weren't able to get from the wholesale buyers in the industry
2: yeah i think they will i think they they fundamentally will um and I think they're going to do it whether they're dragging us along uh, as uh, industry incumbents or whether, you know, we're trying to meet them where they are. Um, you know, the the in every segment, right, whether it's cost shifting going on in the commercial segment, whether it's some of the innovation around ACOs that we're seeing in Medicare, whether it's the shift to manage Medicaid and the expansion of access, um, consumers are going to have to make choices, and they're choosing to do things that don't look like Traditional healthcare. Um, I think retail healthcare is a great example of this. You know, we all know um, the kind of Minute Clinics and Take Take Care Clinics and um, all the rest that you see in the the retail and the discount stores. Um, and I think there's been a lot of mixed um, conversation about that. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a very strong position statement that said you shouldn't take children to those clinics. There's no continuity of care, and the um, American Academy of Family Practice came out and said, well, they're okay for um, urgent care, but you shouldn't get chronic care in those clinics. And I say, you know, that, that is thinking about the new world in too adversarial of a way. You know, if if people are able to get care in a low-cost place if people are able to get preventative care earlier, if we can take every hospital admission and make it just an ER visit and every ER visit and make it just an urgent care visit and every urgent care visit make it just a retail visit um, and think of all of that as the continuum of primary care, I think that's fundamentally what all of us in pop health and value-based care are talking about. You know, We want people getting lower acuity care with people practicing at the top of their license earlier Um, you know, before there's a crisis that has to be dealt with in a hospital setting. And, you know, that's what, whether it's telemedicine or retail care or, you know, some of these um, new innovations that we're starting to see online or some of these new health system partnerships that we're seeing or worksite clinics, whatever angle you take on it, um, you know, that's what they're doing. They're getting people in by being a better experience and charging them less, but it's also driving a heck of a lot of value in the system.
1: Right. And isn't that also to the point made by either the family practice physicians or the pediatricians, aren't some of those issues either currently or in the future will be handled through better technology and integration?
2: Yeah, I sure hope so. I think so. You know, I think there's. Um you know, my colleagues and I have this debate, you know, pretty regularly actually, particularly in the case of the retail clinics. Um, you know, are those are those here to stay? Or is that just like Netflix mailing DVDs where it's sort of a transition and someday we're gonna be streaming it all? Um but you know, the the technology hasn't caught up with the physical world yet. Um I don't know. I think there's some of it that's gonna to go to telemedicine. Um I think frankly some of it 's going to be redefining um, all of the practitioners that we have access to in this country. I think you know we like to say that we have a primary care shortage in this country. Um, I fundamentally don't believe that. I think we have a primary care physician shortage, uh, and we're having physicians do a lot of things that they don't need to do, Uh, and in fact, you know, consumers would rather they not do and would rather talk to somebody who's more relatable. And so uh, I think we're going to see a whole revolution not just in the locations of care and the media for care, but also... What we're doing with pharmacists, what we're doing with social workers, what we're doing with nurse practitioners, you know, these kind of flip the clinic models like Iora Health that are modeled after flipping the classroom, where, you know, a real primary care visit should be 50 or 55 minutes, um, you know, with a social worker or a motivational coach and then five or 10 minutes with a doctor. And we've just got to redefine the practice of primary care.
1: Right. And shouldn't that, you know, as I was talking about the technology issue also, shouldn't that issue of whether they're being seen at one center or by telemedicine or an urgent care clinic, if we've integrated the system from a technological viewpoint and the data is shared, shouldn't that alleviate a lot of those concerns that some of the physicians have about consumers going here and there to get their service?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's exactly what we tell, you know, our health system clients, which is, no industry in history um has ever been successful by trying to retrain consumers out of a natural behavior right We need to meet consumers where they are. we need to meet consumers where they want to receive care, and then it's our job to make that a seamless experience for them and so you know saying to people don't get care there, get care here um is a backward way of thinking about it, saying to people. I know where you get care, I know where you want to get care, and I'm going to work to bring the data in. I'm going to work to sign a partnership. I'm going to get out of the old healthcare fortress mentality where if I don't own it, I don't play nice with it, um, and get more into this kind of Silicon Valley concept of, you know, coopetition and being part of a, an ecosystem. Um, I mean, that's that's fundamentally where... This industry has to go, and consumers are going to vote with their feet. They're going to go to the places that create that seamless experience.
1: Are you seeing any of this broader dream anywhere, Bay
2: Area, or a place like that now? Yeah, you know, it's – I think we're right now. It's 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 a famous quote, right? Uh, the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Um, you know, there's there's there are sort of a thousand points of light across the country. You know, so we see great primary care model innovation at places like Iora and Nuka and um, elsewhere. We're seeing great. Retail partnerships, you know, with all of the big retailers, some of the experiments Walmart's doing down in the south, and they're going to share more about that at our uh, Innovation Summit, or the partnerships that CVS has with, you know, now I think almost 40 health systems across the country where they're putting actual health system EMRs in their clinics to create that seamlessness. Or it's the telemedicine that American Well's is doing or the, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy that uh, Empower Interactive has put in at a tenth of the cost by putting it online. So I think we see all of that. I think um, the real challenge now is to say who can scale it, right? Who can bring that together? You know, healthcare is such a local business. And such a cottage industry, and it's you know it's the one out of every five dollars in the U.S. now flows through healthcare, um, but in a very fragmented way. And so you know the first generation was, can we figure out the right experiments and which ones work? I actually think we have a lot of experiments out there that work. Um, the real winner is going to be somebody who can now stitch it together and sell it.
1: I think that's a great point because as you were going through that list, I said to myself. Oh, my gosh, we've refragmented the system again. You know, we always seem to be able to create another add-on, another thing that we can bill for, et cetera. And, and ultimately, to make that work, I think, as you said, we've got to restitch this thing together. So let me ask you a little question. You've talked in some of your things about these three movements, the quantified self, transparent consumer market, smart care teams, which is sort of a, a way to maybe stitch some of this together. Can you touch on some of that?
2: Yeah, and I'll take them. Uh, I'll take them in reverse order, actually, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is. I think this is a view we see of three of the big forces that are driving a lot of what I just talked about. Um, you know, the 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 smart care team is really this reinvention of of care that I was talking about. Um, about you know, not just in a kind of traditional health market 1.0, have people practice at the top of their license, but um, fundamentally reinventing the role of the physician and all members of the care team to, again, meet consumers where they are, treat people like like people, not like patients or conditions. And so what does that mean? You know, that means that if I'm a physician, I need my panel size to be going from 2,000 to 5,000 to 7,000 to 10,000, and I need to be thinking about my job as being the conductor of an orchestra, not somebody who needs to see every patient every quarter or every year. And it needs to be that there are going to be some patients whom I'm just having remote monitoring for or I'm having do an online assessment once a year and I'm seeing their data in my cockpit, so to speak. There are going to be others where I've got highly trained nurses who are pulling them into... um, intensive outpatient programs and calling them every week and visiting them at home. I'm going to have others who are in my nutrition program, others who are working um, with uh, psychologists and other mental health professionals because that's the driver. And it's my job to conduct that orchestra and to say each person gets sort of a custom mix of that team. um, And um, we just need to be watching the outcomes from that as opposed to trying to shoehorn everybody into a a one-size-fits-all model. And I think it's... You know, it's a response to the way healthcare was built historically, which was, it was all about standardization. It was all about variation reduction. It was all about leaning out processes. It wasn't about creating the right custom tailored care solution for every patient. And we're now in a world where we have the right kinds of professionals, the right kinds of data, the right kind of technology where we can do that. Um, The transparent market, I think we talked about, right? That is this You know, we need to move from just showing people dumb cost data um, to actually having a smart way of talking about quality, and there's great examples of that coming out. And then the quantified self is, you know, we're really moving um, the sources of data from being in big hospitals to being in ambulatory facilities to being in retail to being on my smartphone. Um, And, you know, that is, I think, just a huge extension of what, what we've been hoping for in population health for a long time, which is if I'm a diabetic, um, you know, my doctor can see that my glucose is spiking and recognize patterns, um, and augment my intelligence and help me be smarter about that. And if I need to get my cholesterol checked, I can um, do it point of care. Um, I can do it point of care in a retail at a retailer and not wait six weeks to get in. And if I need um, to know which of three medications is going to work for me, I can go and get um a genetic profile that tells me about that and do that in real time and you know this all sounds very futuristic but we've seen it again these points of light are out there you know we've seen it in the labs we've seen some of them as as close as a year away from being in market um and so you know for the big healthcare incumbents the providers and the health plans it's about saying my sources of data are changing which ones do i need to be tapping into to be providing better care for people
1: so you you talked some about the smart care teams and the and the whole group and how they would react to various situations or patients of various clinical levels. Where do you see the social determinants of health or population health as it actually gets fully expanded to its potential playing? Is is the health system gonna be the focal point and say, Okay, we're just gonna work with our eight thousand patients on that are identified clinically, or do they begin to get further upstream and try to figure out some way to help individuals and communities create broader health within the entire community
2: yeah i I think it has to be the latter um and I think it has to be i'd sort of i'll take two interpretations of it right I think it has to be. At an individual level, we need to be thinking about the whole person. Um, you know, great sort of short example. We were working with a client to create a care coaching program. They had an 83-year-old woman um, who was diabetic. She was coming in weekly for her coaching programs she, or her coaching sessions. She stopped showing up for five weeks. Um, she came back in. They said, where you been? She said, I've been in the hospital five times. Um, the coach said, oh, my goodness, what happened? The 83-year-old said, well, my grandson moved in with me. And it took a 30-minute conversation to realize that what happened was her grandson moved in with her. He was stealing the Social Security check out of the mail. She didn't have enough money to fill her insulin prescription and was landing in the ER. Um, and, you know, that, that social change in her life led to $100,000 in hospitalization costs. You know what that coach did for her, that clinically trained coach? Um, signed her up for direct deposit. Right, and the woman didn't have those issues anymore. And so, you know, at an individual level, if we're not building smart care teams that are able to have those conversations in an mm-hmm. economical way, we're not going to change some of the underlying issues. And then, you know, at a population issue, you and I can think of all sorts of population solutions around healthier eating, simple nudges. You know, I use a, a great example. Um, At Google, right, a very educated, um, upper-income population, um, they offer snacks. They famously offer free snacks. And, you know, they took the unhealthy snacks. They didn't take them away. They still gave people choice. They just put them in the cabinet, so they were out of sight. You had to open it to get the snack. And they shifted 30% of their snack consumption from unhealthy snacks to healthy snacks just by putting that little barrier. So, you know, boy, that's a high-value, high ROI leverage point. And if we're not doing that kind of stuff throughout the population, we're missing a big piece of it.
1: Sure. Yeah, the Google stuff is fascinating to have read some of their little uh, pilots they tried in some of their offices. So, in essence, what's become of those smart care teams is they become smart health teams because they're looking beyond care in a sense. Yep. I guess at it, smarter at issues around other ways to help these individuals. So we're coming up on the top of half hour or the bottom of the hour here, I should say. And you're going to be keynoting at the PHA forum coming up in November. Can you give us a taste of what you're going to talk about?
2: So I think you've heard a lot of it in the conversation um, we just had. We're going to dive into this uh, into some more detail. So if you take these trends around um, quantified self and the new transparent market and smart care teams uh, and say, Okay, what I just heard Sam talk about is really interesting. It's kind of intriguing. It's clearly exciting. But, you know, I've got a hospital to run. I've got employee benefits to provide. I've got a health insurer to run. Uh, I've got a population health company to run. What do I need to get up and do differently tomorrow? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how, you know, this is both a big challenge but a huge opportunity for those who already have relationships with patients and consumers. Um, And, you know, what are the very simple things you can do to just change the conversation in your organization and start thinking about transforming your business, you know it's uh, it's the lessons we're learning from our innovation event in October, and we'll bring them uh to your audience in November.
1: That's fantastic, and really, the depth and breadth of your knowledge in this area is just fantastic. I'm really looking forward to you coming in and as you said the it's one thing to share you know these big grand ideas, but it's another to give people stuff that they can take away with, which clearly you'll be able to do so Very excited by it, and thank you so much for being on the show today and looking forward to seeing you in November at D.C.
2: Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. And I think you know the work that the PHA is doing is just terrific, so keep it up.
1: Thank you. With that, Greg, turn it over to you.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sam Glick,
1: partner and lead at the
0: uh, Oliver Wyman office in San Francisco. And we are going to bring the show to a close and remind you that at this time uh, do follow Oliver Wyman's work at on Twitter at Oliver Wyman and check them out on the web at www.oliverwyman.com and especially the recent report titled The Patient to Consumer Revolution, How High-Tech Transparent Marketplaces and Consumer Power are Transforming U.S. Healthcare. This is an absolute must-read. This is the second in our six-part series on the Countdown to the PHA Forum. Check out www.pophealthweek.com for prior broadcasts and visit www.populationhealthalliance.org for more information on the 16th annual No Johnny Come Lately to Pop Health, gathering of the stakeholders in the emerging practice of population health management. Until then, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.